0: Hello there and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast. I'm Jane Matches and this week we're going to be talking about mortgages. Specifically, we're going to be looking at some of the innovations in the first-time buyers market. It's a landscape that can be pretty tricky to navigate, but I've two guests with me today to help shed some light on everything from deposit boosters to shared ownership. We're also going to hopefully have enough time to talk about whether the mortgage market in its current form is adequately serving first-time buyers. So I'm very pleased to be joined by Will Rice, Chief Executive of Specialist Mortgage Lender Generation Home and Mortgage Advisor and Owner of Riverside Mortgages, Lewis Shaw. So a big welcome to both of you. Thanks for joining us here today. Hi, Jane.
1: Hi, Jane. Good morning.
0: Okay, before we get into the innovation, a lot has happened in the mortgage market in the last six months. Lewis, what's the feeling among first-time buyers at the moment?
1: I think there's there's an element of, of doubt as to whether they should buy, um, whether they they should sit tight and and wait for this whole thing to blow over. Have a pint of the Winchester, for example. Um, but I think there's also a lot of people that are that are desperate to get on the property ladder because they see rents rising, uh, they see landlords ex- exiting the, the market, and so that all adds pressure onto first time buyers. But there's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of um, should we, shouldn't we, and of course with so many kind of contradictory forces hitting at the same time you know rates are rising are we in a recession aren't we in a recession are we going to have houses being built Are house prices going to fall it's very difficult to actually navigate that market when you're a first-time buyer it's completely new to you so it's, it's tricky for people
0: yeah certainly certainly is and I know you you mentioned um interest rates there, and I guess first-time buyers are kind of faced with a double-edged sword at the moment between these rising interest rates and affordability issues. And Will, I'll bring you in in a moment just on the affordability front, but Lewis, in terms of interest rates, where are we at the moment um, for first-time buyers?
1: Well, often uh, first-time buyers tend to have a smaller deposit because we know that saving the deposit is is the, the trickiest part of actually getting on the property ladder. So as a consequence, most have five, ten, fifteen, if they're very fortunate, um, percent deposit. Um, so as a consequence, they are looking then at the highest rates. Now the issue is um, this is going to get into a little bit of macroeconomics, which is inter- incredibly boring. But <laughs> it used to be the case that you know you had a two-year fix that would be low, and then three-year would be higher, five-year would be higher still, because you had that curve of, of kind of swaps and and gilts sort on of the cost of well. Since September, that's got turned on its head, and we've got the old inverted gilt yield. As a consequence, now two years are the highest, and then it gets it tails off, and and, and until you get to kind of ten-year fixed rates where they're the lowest. So the problem is, is that in, uh, first-time buyers are faced with high kind of fours, low fives, um, but that's exacerbated because, of course, if they're kind of up in the kind of four and five percent. Um, well, kind of high fours, uh, high five percent um, interest rates. That means that then kind of stress rates on two years are even harsher. So they can't borrow quite as much. But then they're faced with the possibility of, well, if we need to borrow more to get where we need to be, then that's going to be a five year fixed rate. But then they're tying in it at, at a pretty high rate. And they're not going to be able to get out of that without paying a significant penalty if it's fixed. So it's tricky. It's tricky.
0: It mm, cert- certainly is. And, you know, we kind of touched on affordability there as well. Will, this was something that you were acutely aware of when you set up Generation Home. Um, just for any of our listeners who aren't familiar with what you offer, can you give us the elevator pitch? What is it that sets you apart from other lenders?
2: Sure. So I'll, I'll focus specifically on affordability, given that that's where your question is coming from and how how we're different from other lenders in supporting people. Um, solve the common affordability and deposit challenges that you face as a first-time buyer. So um, where we've started is providing products that um, allow people to uh, use the bank of mum and dad um, in a way that uh, lets their affordability go further. So being able to borrow more um, or um, being able to provide incentives to mum and dad to lend a hand where otherwise um, they might not be able... Willing. Um, so, an example of that is that our, our deposit booster product allows friends or family to co-invest with you in your home as an alternative to gifting money. So, where the typical first-time buyer, about two-thirds of first-time buyers actually receive a cash gift from family um, in order to purchase that home, uh, we provide a way for, for for the same family members to to take a a, a a small stake in your home, so they they can co-invest. Um, There are no adverse tax consequences, Um, you keep your first-time buyer stamp duty status and so on, so there are no penalties for having mum and dad involved. Um, But it's a much easier conversation to have with them because you can go to your parents and instead of saying, please give me a handout, um, you can say, uh, I'm buying a home, Um, if you were to invest alongside me, it would make all the difference in the world, but you can get that money back later and you can have visibility and security and certainty of that happening um and generation home will look after all of that for you um so what we've been trying to do is make those conversations with parents or other relatives easier and expand access to the number of people who can uh turn to bank of Mum and dad so um uh you know it's, it's one thing uh delivering a better service and a better process for the people who who are already lucky enough to have family support but um the biggest difference we're making is 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 giving uh, first time buyers who who wouldn't otherwise have that alternative the ability to turn to parents and find a solution.
0: Okay, yeah, uh, so it's certainly a change from the typical mortgage. Lewis, what are some of the other products on the market at the moment for first time buyers that are different to to what we're used to normally seeing?
1: Um so you've got one of the main ones especially from one of the big lenders nationwide is the helping hand scheme where you get enhanced loan-to-income uh, opportunities if your income is over a certain uh, size, whether that's as, as a single person or, or jointly if you're if you're buying as a couple. So that gives you access on a five-year or ten-year fixed rate to five and a half times your uh, annual income, subject to other affordability bits and bobs. So that's one of the main things in terms of affordability. Um, there are a number of lenders that have started <coughs> – expanding their product ranges to include professional mortgages where for example people are qualifying in a particular profession and there's a clear progression in terms of income so for example think doctors lawyers accountancy people vets etc these kind of people where they're going to have an incremental increase in their wages year on year on year etc and the, the earning potential of those um roles are are quite significant so again mortgage lenders are are coming with kind of professional ranges there although of course that only helps a a very specific subset um i'm going to say there's there's one particular piece of the puzzle that always gets overlooked and very few people talk about it um and it's not a new innovation it's been around for quite some time and that's that there's a lender that allows you to take a personal loan for the deposit now i'm not suggesting before anyone dives in at me here i'm not suggesting this is right for everyone however we know that from for the majority of first-time buyers getting the deposit together is often the biggest hurdle now there is a lender out there that will allow you as i say to have a personal loan as, as the deposit as long as that personal loan isn't with them and as long as it fits their affordability, taking into account whatever that monthly cost for that personal loan would be. Now, as I say, I don't know why this isn't publicised more, but given that that is the biggest hurdle, getting the the deposit, this could allow many more people to actually take the first step onto the ladder because, you know, saving up 5% of of the average house price these days, that takes a long time, especially when you're facing eye-watering rents. So actually, if you want to get people on the housing market, I don't want to go back to one hundred percent LTV, but this is as close as we're going to get, and it actually does fill uh, a, a, a a role, fulfill a role where people have the income, they just don't have the capital, you know.
0: Yeah, sure, and it's certainly a struggle for a lot of people. Like we're seeing wages kind of stagnate, and house prices are still very high. So it doesn't look like it's going to get any easier anytime soon. Um, well, I know before we started recording, you were saying you've actually recently purchased your your first um, home as well. What what was that experience like for you as someone who works in the industry?
2: Um, it was very easy. So that's not a very helpful answer because I know <laughs> that it's typically the most stressful process that um, that that people go through in their life buying a home, buying their first home. I'm I'm not sure it gets much easier with future homes, to be honest. Um, having to manage a sale and a purchase at the same time and getting stuck in a chain um, is possibly even worse. But um, no, I, I was obviously lucky because for me, the hard bit has been um, working out how to build a mortgage lender. Um, so uh, I was obviously equipped with with, with, with a lot of the, uh, the necessary knowledge and experience. However, it was a bit eye opening to me in places, particularly as regards sort of interactions with the estate agent. Mm. Um so you know, I was lucky that I knew about the financing piece. I was able to use Generation Home to get my mortgage. We've built out our own conveyancing service at Gen H. So I was also able to use my own our own legal firm to do the conveyancing. And that's where the a lot of the first-time buyer stress comes in, is how bad that process typically is, how low the quality of customer service is, and so on. But the estate agent did really shine a light for me on the pressures that first-time buyers are put under and the lack of support that they have. So on numerous occasions, I felt vaguely pressured or intimidated by the estate agent. Um, I felt uncomfortable with the information I was being given or the way that they were representing the seller in the negotiations. Um, And with all the benefits that I had approaching the transaction, it did make me think, God, if I was doing this without having had the last four years of experience under my belt, um, I could really get squeezed here. Um, I could have ended up with a much worse outcome. Um, And it really underscores what I believe is one of the biggest structural flaws in the housing market, which is that there is no one who looks after the home buyer at every step of the way, um, and that the estate agent fills that role, but is actually working for the other side. So um, first-time buyers finding their feet are being represented by or being advised along the way by the person who's quite literally representing the other side of the transaction
0: mm-hmm. that's quite worrying to hear that that was your experience as someone who has so much knowledge of the sector I guess that's where mortgage brokers kind of do step in as well Lewis is that kind of does that align with your experience and what you hear from first-time buyers that you work with
1: yes I think there's I think uh, among Um, first-time buyers before they speak to a mortgage broker. And and to be fair, it's not just first-time buyers. I think there's an assumption with some people that all we do is sit and look at a rate table and pick a product. It's far far more than that. It's actually about coaching people in terms of how to deal with the pressure. What are they going to actually be faced with? You know, I'm regularly telling people, every time you book a viewing, you're going to be hit with, come and see our in-house advisor, come and use our conveyancing service. We can organise a survey... Uh, and of course, some estate agents um, have you know quite a poor reputation in in some of those areas, uh, and of course that makes it harder, especially because the people that are that are wanting the product that they're selling, it's not as though you can just walk down the road and get it. You know, if, if I want a coffee, I can go to five different coffee shops on this street, but. There's only that one estate agent selling that one house that fits my bill perfectly. And I, and I you know, so it's not as though you, it's not, it's not as though it's a free market in that respect. So you have to kind of coach first time buyers to be aware of it, but also to say, look, you know, if you do start getting pressurized, if you do feel as though you're, you know, you're under the cosh, just pick up the phone to me because I'm used to dealing with the estate agents. So what they will might say to you, I can kind of bat away relatively easily. So there's a lot there more than just picking a rate and clicking a couple of buttons to apply for a loan you know
0: yeah sure sure and it, it can it can be quite overwhelming for for people when it is the first property you know the biggest purchase that you're probably going to make in your life and it is um A big decision. So I imagine people can be a bit sceptical when they hear about some of these new innovations. And Lewis, you talked about the lender with the personal loan that you can use towards your deposit. And well, even with Generation Home, it being like a bit of a different offering. Did you find that you kind of had to help people overcome a bit of scepticism about what you're offering at Generation Home? Were people kind of nervous about trying something new?
2: Yes. And I think it extends, it it applies not just to products, but also to, uh, to providers. So as a new lender in the market with a young brand, um, we have a lot of work to do to build trust, um, to, to put any, any home buyer in a position where they feel comfortable, um, that, uh, we're going to be able to look after them for the duration of that mortgage term. Um, it was it was something that we found slightly surprising although in in in, in hindsight um, it makes perfect sense but you know we'd seen over the last decade the rise of a lot of challenger brands in financial services in fintech um, and most of these brands were providing business services that involve taking the customers money so you know lia- liability franchises deposit taking entities so, you know neo banks um, and it had been demonstrated that there's very, very low friction there. Customers, customers will very quickly give their money to a new business, a new institution that hasn't got any track record, but will do a hell of a lot more due diligence and spend a lot more time thinking about whether to take your money. Um, so initially we found that a little bit counterintuitive. Um, but the feedback that we consistently got and where we where we landed was the, re- the reason that people... Uh, Place such a high bar to engaging with a new lender as opposed to a new bank is um, they really don't know what would happen if their mortgage lender wasn't there anymore. Um, people jump to the worst-case assumptions uh, around what that could mean for their personal circumstances in their home. Um, you know, people might default to thinking, "Oh, the, my house will get repossessed if I no longer have a mortgage lender." Um, now, that's obviously absolutely not the case, but that's a difficult thing to educate people around. So it's, it's hugely important for us to build brand trust as well as to um, uh, do the work to familiarise people about how different or new product solutions can um, can help them with their circumstances.
0: Okay, yeah. And in terms of, of new products and new solutions, another thing I wanted to ask you both about, and maybe Lewis, I'll come to you first on this. Um, in terms of other offerings, you know people will have heard about shared ownership and maybe some rent buy schemes what are your thoughts on these kind of um solutions are are you getting a lot of first-time buyers coming to you interested in these schemes
1: um i do i do have a, a few customers that have kind of spoken to me about shared ownership yes and i've had a few inquiries about for example safe to buy and and such like um i'm Probably, I won't say I'm skeptical about them because you know it's, it's beneficial to own an asset than not own an asset, and it's beneficial to to have your own home rather than, than rent. However, I do worry that we keep, as a nation, trying to put a sticking plaster over the issue, as opposed to actually just fixing what the problem is. And the problem is not enough genuinely affordable housing being built in in areas that people need it um that you know that they and, and, and can access it now i know of course people say well shared ownership that is that's, that's, that's the point of it that is affordable housing but it, it it always feels as though it's it it's just a another way of kind of plastering over the cracks as opposed to you know for example the government investing in you know building thousands of new um social Uh, housing so that you know you can take some of the steam and pressure out of the buy to let sector which would then hopefully alleviate some of that problems and and, and so i just i just feel with with some of these schemes there's nothing wrong with them because if that's your only option and that's going to get you on the property ladder then great let's do it but I, i just wish there was less tinkering in the market and allow the market to be the market i mean we've seen with with help to buy that shot up uh, house prices, out of all recognition, and there's you know that chicken has yet to really come home to roost. Um We've got shared ownership, where again people are buying into these things. Where there's a lot of there's a lot of of, of legality around what you can do, what you can't do, how you can proceed when you want to buy f- further shares, or if you can't. Do people really understand what they're getting into? I know that they've signed documents, I know that they've had legal advice, but do they really understand it? I, I, I To be honest, a lot of the time they don't, and so I would rather. It just be a case that housing was just more affordable, so that people could actually get on the ladder, and and these schemes actually detract from that because it it continually pumps up and overinflates the market and never lets it really settle. That's my concern, I suppose, and two peda
0: Okay, okay. And Will, what would what would be your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm
2: not far away from Lewis at all in my thinking on that. Um, I think that there are major deficiencies in schemes like shared ownership and rent to own, rent to buy the way that they exist in the market today, kind of in their current incarnations. That doesn't mean that there are occasions where they are the best thing for the customer. Um, So I wouldn't um, want to give a black and white answer. Like they are far from perfect, but sometimes they provide a good solution for a given customer (laughs) circumstances. Um, I completely agree around the damage to the market of, Ephemeral government policies that distort the market for a period of time, um, different schemes coming and going. Um, I think it impairs uh, private sector innovation. Um, I think that the market there, there's sort of two, there's a there's an area where the government can play a massive role, which is around the development of affordable and social housing. Um, and creating a framework of incentives for private sector players to uh, to deliver new solutions to the market. But I think we're going to be stuck in, a, in, sort of in Groundhog Day if each successive government thinks that the right solution or the most valuable thing that they can do is to spin up a new affordability scheme um, to provide a short-term shot in the arm. Because as we've seen with Help to Buy, that's just as likely to have damaging long-term consequences on, on the market, for example, via house prices. Um, that will counterway the benefits to the to the customers who, who who are able to get on the property ladder using the scheme so um, what I would love to see is um, much longer term thinking and creating a framework in which uh, private sector players are incentivized to bring new innovation to the market um, and I would suggest that at the moment everything is set up against that that the the regulation that was brought in after the financial crisis has uh significantly impaired the ability of banks building societies um uh, uh and and other players to innovate and to actually act in the customer's best interests
0: okay okay and do you think then it sounds like we're not in the midst of any significant change to the market just yet these schemes are would you say they're still quite niche then lewis
1: Yes, I I would, I mean well to be fair I would say they're quite niche but because I'm I'm an independent broker that kind of serves the entirety of the market from first time buyers all the way to you know moving home remortgaging right to buy debt consolidation etc whereas typically with shared ownership uh, specifically there tend to be specialist brokerages that that deal with particular sites so I wouldn't see much of it but that's because it's all being dealt with by particular firms and as I say there's 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 nothing inherently wrong with, you know, with, with, but it's just the way that, uh, as Will said, it, 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 we're always looking for a sticky plaster rather than actually just addressing the root cause, which is people don't earn enough and house prices are too expensive. <laughs> and so you've got to do something with the economy to balance those two things out.
0: Mm. And I guess in the absence of the government taking any major action on that front, do you think, um, Will, do you think that the market can step in there and that, you know, lenders like yourself, do you think that will kind of change the landscape over the next few years?
2: I I, I do, absolutely. Um, I think that we will see profound change in the next five to 10 years. And I think it's it's absolutely essential that we do. Um, I mean, the conclusion that we've come to as a business um, is that looking at solutions to Get people onto the property ladder. I.e., financing solutions, for example, um, is 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 it, is it in itself a, a sticking plaster that we're coming far too late in the journey and, and 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 introducing changes that are far too superficial to have the impact that they need to have if we're going to really turn the tide on um, on home ownership, um, and that we've got to go firstly um, earlier in the customer's life into the rental sector um, and think really hard about how we can facilitate wealth creation while people are renting, while they're in the private rental sector. Um, So addressing the deposit challenge um, much, much earlier in their financial lives. Um, And there are some really exciting opportunities, I think, to change the way that the rental market works to deliver good outcomes for landlords while simultaneously uh, uh, transforming the financial outcomes for tenants. So that's something that we're going to be doing a lot of work on. Um, and the second piece is just the way that the market, the housing market itself is structured. So the way it's built as a, a highly fragmented ecosystem um, with, uh, a, I would say, far too large a role played by the estate agents in shaping the transaction process. And that that creates a lot of um, friction and expense that I believe um, uh, has serious consequences for home ownership rates. So I think a much more holistic approach needs to be taken to housing rather than just looking at how do we make affordability work for buyers? Um, And that if we do that, there there, there are really, really exciting opportunities um, over the coming years um, to to, to properly and permanently change the direction of uh, of home ownership rates, particularly for younger generations.
0: Okay, okay. So positive, positive um, outlook there from you. Do you think currently, um, Lewis, do you think now is a a good time to be a first-time buyer?
1: Um, there's there's never, there's never a, it's very, there's never a good and a bad time. Mm. There's just, there's just a time to be, to be quite honest with you, because as I say, you know, buying and owning an asset, especially a property, um, can only be beneficial. We know it's beneficial for uh, long-term security that has impacts on your health and your, and your mental wellbeing. We know that, you know, we, we know that, for example, birth rates are falling because people are not starting families or, or giving up on the hope of families because they can't get uh, you know a, a secure place to live um so it, so this has major implications for, for people so in terms of is it a, a bad time yeah rates are higher but no if you've got the opportunity then get on and do it definitely always get on and do it because you know what trying to predict the market is 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 for the birds no one can do it no one saw ukraine coming no one saw kobe coming no one certainly saw the uh the mini budget well not the extent of, to, to, of that so this idea that we can kind of predict what's coming down the line in two three four five years is for the birds so if you've got the opportunity to become a first-time buyer and get on the property ladder always take it
0: certainly yeah and I guess to return to the question that we pose at the start of the episode do you think the mortgage market in its current form is adequately serving the needs of first-time buyers Lewis I might come to you on that first
1: sure um I think in the main the, the mortgage market is working well. Affordability has taken a, a bit of a hit because of of the mini budget. Um, I'm sick to death of saying that word, <laughs> but that is the case. Um, but yeah, in, in in the main, it is it's functioning well. Uh, there's plenty of availability of, of credit, and for the right people with the the deposit and the income and the uh, and and all that other kind of good stuff, then yeah, it's it's fine. One thing that I would say is that. With being a first-time buyer, um, specifically in areas such as London, now if you can buy, I know that prices are high, but of course with the uh, additional stamp duty uh, relief, then you know th- th- when when will that change? But clearly, if there's a change of government, that might change. So, again, is it worth getting on the ladder now and, and kind of moving moving forward whilst the, those opportunities exist?
0: Okay, yeah. And Will, what do you think, from your perspective, is the mortgage market currently working well for first-time buyers? Uh,
2: I think it works well in in one respect only, which is that um, the market is extremely competitive. So um, the competitive environment amongst lenders ensures that the price of capital, so the cost of money for consumers, is extremely low. Um, relative to the cost of the banks, the building societies themselves are funding it. So people might think the interest rates are high now, but lenders are making less money um, on their lending today than they they ever have before. So it, it works well for customers in getting low interest rates. So we've got no problem with competition in the market. But I think that the the market has 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 really let down millions of people um, who have been squeezed out into the unregulated sphere. Um, in the rental market, so I think that all the all of the regulatory changes, um, the prudential changes that were introduced in the wake of the financial crisis were extremely poorly designed, um, and the the upshot of it, uh, in this in, in this case, no fault uh, of of the banks themselves, is that um, we have an extremely safe and sound mortgage sector with extremely low levels of financial stress, extremely low levels of arrears, and so on, which is great, but that has been achieved at the cost of pushing hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of aspiring first-time buyers into the unregulated domain of the private rental sector. Um, So you might say that the first-time buyer market works well for those who are able to access the first-time buyer market, but that fundamentally it's letting down a, a huge number of people who aspire to become homeowners.
0: Yes. And Will, you kind of touched on this already, but, you know, if you look five, 10 years into the future, I'm going to gonna ask you to take out your crystal ball here before we go. Do you think um, things will look vastly different and will we perhaps move away from the standard mortgage?
2: Yeah, I, I don't think that uh, there'll be such a sharp divide between renting and owning. Um, I think the way that properties are, are bought um, or equity acquired within properties will become much more fluid. Um, then it will no longer be a simple case of outright ownership versus being stuck in the private sector, uh, the private rental sector, I should say. Um, I think we will move towards something that's much more dynamic where where we can truly talk about everybody having some ownership in the home that they live in.
0: Okay, okay. And Lewis, what, what do you see in your crystal ball? What do you think we're on path for in five or ten years' time?
1: It's difficult, isn't it? Any kind of predictions. <laughs> um, I think that we'll. I think they will sadly continue to see home ownership rates fall. I think that um, that more people at the top of the income distribution will gobble up more of the assets because the way that everything's working. And I think personally, we're heading into a, a neo feudalism. That's David. I mean, that's my really <laughs> pessimistic outlook. But but given the way that kind of the economy is set up, the way that um you know we're turning into an asset economy uh where you're more rewarded through what you own as opposed to what you earn that's not slowing down anytime soon especially with the amount of money that was pumped out during covid that money's still sloshing about it's still got to find its way uh into an investment somewhere and often that is bricks and mortar for people that are sat at the top of the wealth distribution so i don't think that looks great to be honest
0: Okay. Okay. Well, I was hoping to leave it on a bit more of a positive note than that, but um, that we're going to have to leave it there. We've run out of time. So, Lewis and Will, thank you so much for joining us today, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in. I hope you all have a great weekend, and we will be back next week for another episode of the FT Advisor Podcast. Goodbye.
2: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant.